0: Welcome to the MedSpa Success Strategies Podcast, where MedSpa and aesthetics practice owners come to discover strategies and tactics that help them better manage and market their practices so they can grow, scale, and have more financial freedom. I'm your host, Ricky Shockley from MedSpa Magic Marketing. I'm really excited to be joined again today by Sarah Schickman of Lenjia Law. Sarah is a healthcare lawyer, entrepreneur, and the author of MedSpa Confidential, a number one Amazon bestseller on how to grow an aesthetics business. Today, we're going to be doing a checklist kind of deep dive on what it takes to start a Med Spa from scratch. So Sarah, thank you for being our first return guest on the MedSpa Success Strategies podcast. We're super excited to have you on.
1: Super excited to be here. Thank you.
0: So as you know, when we first talked, we covered a lot of these broad topics and we hit a lot of different points on that first interview. And today I kind of wanted to pick one specific thing and be a little bit more narrow in the scope of the interview. And in MedSpa Confidential, you and Dr. Clinton have a whole section here about what it takes to actually start a MedSpa. I think there are a lot of people that are in this phase where they know they're going into this business, they're adopting this business model, they're launching for the first time, but they've never owned a business before and they don't even know what that checklist looks like. And they've never maybe even been really super active in the industry from a business owner le- ownership level or management level. So if somebody's looking at starting a med spa, what are those first few logistical steps?
1: I think the first logistical step is figuring out whether you want to start small or start big. And there's really um, no super wrong answer here, but I think a somewhat wrong answer is starting too big. So the first step is figuring out, okay, like, Do I have $5,000 to start this thing or a million dollars? And what does that mean for me?
0: So starting it based on what you have to invest in the business and starting small, that's something that's come up over and over again on the podcast. So, um, with that said, when somebody's looking at those costs, what is realistic in terms of getting something off the ground that is lean, mean, you know, a minimal minimum viable model for starting a practice? What does that maybe look like?
1: I think the minimal minimal viable model is probably somewhere in the twenty-five to forty thousand dollars all in, in terms of buying some products, legal, marketing, accounting costs. Um, securing some kind of space, or even if you're going to do mobile securing, like whatever you need to be able to do that. At the very least, I would say like bare minimum, 25,000.
0: And with that said, being on that leaner side, you're looking at opening a location, getting an office. Do you have any suggestions or options for what people should be looking at, looking into when making that decision?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that um, there are a ton of these salon loft type of spaces in popping up everywhere. And I think those are fantastic. I think renting a room from an existing medical practice is also fantastic, especially if it's complementary to what you're going to be doing. Renting a room from a salon, uh, renting a room from a dental office, all these things are possible good ideas. And then if you're going to go bigger thinking about, okay, who are the big competitors in the area? Do I want how close do I want to be to them? And then what type of feeling do you want to have in terms of you could start from a ground floor space, but you could also start from a third floor space. This business is really not so reliant on foot traffic. So you'll see uh, when we talk a little bit about marketing, digital marketing really brings the clients in, not having a big fancy storefront.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I know I've talked to people that have the big fancy storefront, and they thought that's all they would have to do to market their practices. And I think a lot of them learn pretty quickly that might not be the case. So, with that said, so you've got this pile of money, you're ready to get started. Um, you need a name and a logo. Any advice on those branding decisions?
1: Um, yeah, I and people ask us this all the time, and I'm always um curious because. We are a law firm and you know we're, we're a little creative, but I would say as lawyers, lawyers are often not known for their creativity. So um, it becomes more of a marketing question, but I think something simple and um, easily pronounceable and spellable is great and something unique, as unique as possible. I mean, of course, it's difficult these days. Every, every time we try to do a trademark search for clients, a lot of times the good <laughs> names are taken because... Everyone wants to be the Allure Beauty Mitzvah, Um, but just coming up with a unique name um, and making sure that the domain name that you want is available is key. So even if you came up with a great name, but it's already taken by somebody else, that's not going to work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We ran into that when we were like making the name for our, our agency too. It's like It's almost like you have to go to the domain name first and make sure that you can get something that's going to make sense before you even worry about whether the name is you know, legally available, I guess, yeah, so that's awesome advice. What about anything in terms of color schemes that you think is kind of more fitting for a med spa, or do you think that's really dependent on the practice and that there's a lot of flexibility with that branding decision?
1: Um I really think it's dependent on the practice. um I think that you know some people really go for the pinks and and bright colors like what, like what I'm wearing today is, is a typical med spa color for, for some practices, but I see some practices that do a lot of black and blue and gold and gray. So I think colors you can do, you know, whatever branding wise makes sense for, for, for you. And um, there's no really right or wrong answer there. I think there should be a high contrast color because you're starting a medical practice. Um, Typically, it has to be compliant in terms of whether people who have a disability or an impairment can see your website, can can understand your brand. So this way, if you're choosing colors that are very, very light and are harder to see, you may run into issues with website compliance and things like that because your website has to be accessible for people with disabilities.
0: Yes, definitely true. And for any of you using WordPress, if you don't have something like that on your website, there's a plugin called UserWay, which is an Americans with Disabilities Act plugin. And I've had clients get in trouble for building websites that don't have that component. I don't know how prevalent that is now in terms of the legal ramifications, you know, actually being cracked down on, on a small practice, but I know it definitely has happened. So Mm -hmm. good call. Um, What about services and treatments? One of the things, again, we're talking about starting small. One of the things that's come up a lot on uh, previous episodes is this idea of uh, being lean with your purchase decisions and when you come into uh, selecting the initial services and treatments, I know one of the things that can get a lot of practices in trouble, you got this little pool of money to start a practice. And next thing you do, you want this fancy new laser. And you've got such a huge payment on that laser that it kneecaps your practice out of the get-go. And on the flip side, I've seen the practices that are just doing injectables be very profitable. So do you have any recommendation on initial services and treatments and how to maybe make that decision? Yeah,
1: I think that... Um initially, it's really important to conserve your cash. So I would invest in treatments that don't require a lot of upfront investment. So your injectables, microneedling, IV hydration, things like that, uh, medical weight loss. And then once you already have a steady stream of clients, and I'm mean by steady stream of clients, I mean at least 50 people a month, um, then I would think about buying capital equipment. The thing with capital equipment is that it's very hard to sell it once you buy it or to return it. I mean, we get involved in these very complicated contract negotiations where people are looking to return their equipment or resell it and there's a certification fee and all these things. Whereas with Botox fillers and those other things, it's just easier to move the product. So it's much safer to start with a simple menu and there's a reason why there's a place that's does haircuts and there's a place that does hair coloring and there's a place that does waxing and they're not the same place so you don't need to do everything for everyone because you're it's going to be a nightmare keeping inventory doing marketing get known for doing one thing really well and then you can always expand
0: yeah i love that what about in terms of the, the legal components, regulations So people that have never started a business before? They're like, okay, well, now I have a domain name. I've got a brand and a logo. What kind of paperwork do they need to be paying attention to in terms of filing to get that business you know, legally registered?
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of paperwork and we get a lot of clients who started the business, started operating, get in trouble and then give us a call. And uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's okay. Um, but I would like to see it more where people call us in the beginning because it's so much cheaper to just be set up compliantly. So for example, typically what you'd need is some kind of permit from the department of health, some kind of permit from the cosmetology board and the right kind of documentation between you and your medical director and also you and your clients. And in a lot of States, like more than 30 States, you don't just need a medical director contract, you need what's called a management services agreement, which is a totally different structure than what you would think because it's a medical business. So if I was starting a flower shop, I could just form an LLC and maybe get some one permit and that's it. But um, if I'm starting a whole med- medical business, which every med spa, IV hydration, and that kind of business is, I can't just start an LLC and go on my merry way, unfortunately. It's a more, much more complicated setup. So, getting that legal aspect done is becomes really, really important.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I know, you know, starting a business when you're trying to figure that stuff out and put those pieces together, it's something you kind of have to do a lot of work upfront on. And for a for someone trying to start a practice, they probably have a lot of other things on their plate. So. It sounds like one of those things that's really good to get help on, make sure you're not missing anything because the, I'm sure the liability and the potential ramifications of missing one of those things on that checklist could be pretty detrimental to your business early on.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a difference between like spending $5,000 to legally start your business correct and, or spending $50,000 later up, and like having three months of sleepless nights when you're being investigated. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's just not, it's, it's not worth it. It's not intuitive either. Like you just wouldn't think starting a business that you need all these things, but because it's medical, all these extra things come into play.
0: Oh, no doubt. Yeah. I know even for us, we've got a team member in Colorado and it's like, it's minor paperwork, but we've got to do registrations for our payroll in the state of Colorado now for that remote employee. Mm -hmm. And that's been a nightmare. And that's not even remotely close to the complications that you face when you have a medical business.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So yeah, feel the pain there. Um, what about insurance? Any sort of a specific commercial liability insurance med spas need to be paying attention to?
1: Yeah. So typically a med spa needs two different types of insurance. One is like your general commercial liability insurance, and that protects you if let's say somebody slips and falls in your office space. And typically if you're renting from a landlord, they will have in the lease an insurance requirement anyway. And that's typically a million per occurrence and three million in the aggregate. So, that part most people have covered. The other insurance you need to have is called professional liability or medical malpractice. And that's if, let's say, somebody gets a Botox injection and their eyelid droops and then they decide to sue you. I mean, very small chance of that happening, but it does. And that kind of insurance needs to protect you. And also, you should list your medical director on it as well. So you need these two sets of insurance, basically the general liability and the professional liability.
0: We have the professional liability even for our business. So again, I'm sure that's another case where as a med spa, even way more important. Uh, One little thing to, to go back to here real quick, medical director, you're someone that's maybe an injector. You've got some experience working for another business and you're starting your own spa. How do you go about finding a You know a medical director and nailing down that relationship any tips there
1: yeah great question so a couple of different ways one we have a list of medical directors that we work with on a state-by-state basis so if a new client comes to us we provide them with a list of medical directors um we also have other companies like doctors or providers that we work with who basically you subscribe to them and they give you a list of medical directors and pair you with a medical director so that's two different ways of doing it Third way, if you really want to be creative and do your own thing, you can put an ad on LinkedIn yourself looking for a medical director and find a medical director that way. So it's actually surprisingly not so difficult finding a medical director if you're either working with a law firm who has contacts like us or working with doctors or providers or another company or literally putting on a LinkedIn ad yourself.
0: Awesome. Those are a few great options. Okay, in uh, in terms of positionings, now you've got all of your legal stuff taken care of, you found a location, you've got your branding, you know what services you're going to be offering out of the gate and treatments. Anything specific people should be paying attention to when they're figuring out, you know, who am I in this market? How am I going to attract business when there are other practices in the area that maybe do what you're doing and have been around longer?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really hard question. Like figuring out what's going to be your competitive advantage. I think it comes down to whether you're going to compete on quality, on customer service, on price, on something else. And you can't be competing on all these things at the same time. So you have to really decide, like, are you going to be the premium place? But that means you have to have great service and take your time with people and have longer appointments and have a nice space. Or are you going to be the volume business, which has better prices? You could have shorter appointments. You don't have to be in as nice of a space. So figuring out that kind of thing, or even your competitive advantage could be using technology. So you make it super easy to book appointments with you. People are able to add friends. People are able to check out like virtually. They're able to complete a lot of their paperwork virtually, whatever. That could also be a competitive advantage. Um, but it's really important to just realize that you can't be competitive on all those things at the same time.
0: Yeah. And one of the things, too, I think a lot of practices, they maybe they want to be the practice that differentiates based on reputation. But then based on third party evidence, somebody goes to Google and you've got other practices in the area that have a perfect five star rating on Google. And you're maybe sitting there with the four point five star rating. It's going to be hard to make that a compelling marketing message when the data doesn't support it. Does that make sense? Do you tend to agree with that too? Like yeah. you really have to be what you claim to be.
1: Sure. And I think for us too, sometimes clients come to us and they, um, they may be involved in some sort of situation where one person is claiming a, a client says, well, this happened and the client says something else happened. So what you're alleging actually has to be true. If it's not true, then you're just hurting your own reputation. So yeah, I think it's hard. Yeah. Um, sometimes we have this vision of, what the business is supposed to be versus what it actually is. And then we have to kind of work to what we want it to be. And they're not, yeah. they're not always the same, unfortunately, but yeah, I mean, yeah. there are ways to raise your Google rating, right? There are ways to encourage your customers to leave reviews and to elevate you. And, and um, so it's not impossible, but if you're competing with someone with a 5.0 rating and hundred reviews and you're saying you're the best practice in the area, it, it's going to be hard.
0: Yeah. And also take some of that to heart too. I think, you know, I think it's all, and a lot of times it is something the patient is is just not understanding or they might be wrong in the in that specific scenario. But you also want to take it and reflect a little bit. If you're sitting there and you're a practice with 4.4 stars on Google and your competitor has five and you both have the same number of customers, maybe there are a couple things that you can improve on that could put you in a better position to win business long-term. So, Reflect don't always don't always just deflect with those reviews and cast blame. try to see if there is anything you can improve with your process, your communication, your service, your the people that are performing the services and all those things too. Yeah well, one of the things in the book Medspa Confidential that you all talk about is the first five patients there's a little chapter on that and then the first 500. So could you really uh, quickly talk about? For someone who's starting a practice, they've checked everything off the list now so far, but they need those first five people in the door. How do they get those first five people in the door? And then how does that go from five to 500?
1: Yeah. So typically the first five people will be your friends and family. And your friends and family have to know what you're doing. Like if you're doing this as a top secret where you can't talk to anybody about <laughs> it. And some people do. Some people are very secretive. But this business is not for those people. If you're if you're going to keep your business a secret from your friends and family, then... They're not going to be your first five customers. You're going to have to pay a lot of money to acquire those those first five. And it's very important to for those first five for you to really nail down your systems, like how you're going to chart. Please, no more paper charts. Like people start, send me their clients charts if there's a problem. And I'm like, wait, this is on paper. This is not okay. Like <laughs> um, we, We're a law firm and we do everything digitally. So if you're a medical office, you can too. Um, so... Anyway, your first five, you have to make sure you chart everything correctly. You take their before and after pictures. They leave you reviews. Those first five could be your first five Google ratings. And you should make sure they have a great experience. And ask them, right? Like reach out to them afterward and say, "What could I do better? How did it go? And then the first 500 will come from those first five. But you also can't expect your friends and family to bring you 10 clients each. You're going to have to do marketing. Like, there's no way around it. Nothing's gonna market for you. Your beautiful location is not gonna market for you. Your staff in your office is not gonna market for you. Your equipment is not gonna magically teleport people in just because you bought a 200,000 hour machine. You're gonna have to spend money on marketing. That's gonna be the way to bring in your first, you know, the next 500 clients.
0: With that said, what do you think the difference, this is kind of going on a little bit of a tangent, the difference is between the practices that, you know, they've grown slow and steady over the course of years. Maybe they just have a combination of things. Maybe it's just that they're in a perfect location. They've got really good connections in the community. What's the difference between those practices that do have to rely on marketing? Is it the majority versus those that can, you know, kind of squeak through the cracks and really be able to build a practice strictly on reputation and referrals?
1: I think that um, it is possible to build a practice strictly on reputation referrals. It's just much more slow. And while you're doing that, you're going to have competitors on every block trying to steal your patients. So even if you're building your practice on reputation and slowly, which I think is a, is fine, um, there's going to be somebody next door who is going to be marketing to your clients five times a day on Google, and they're going to see their ads, and they're going to forget your name and remember theirs. So yeah. I think that there is a way to grow without doing marketing. But I think even if you have a practice that's uh, has a great reputation and a uh, lots of referral business, that's awesome. But can you handle even more business? Why not take that and also use use marketing and together, then your practice will go from growing 10% a year to 30% a year.
0: Yeah. And you can grow in two different ways. You can grow based on increased demand, allowing you to raise prices, or you can grow by getting more patients. And that gives you, uh, obviously, the flexibility there. Real quick aside, and I only have one more question after this, is on discounting. I know when we first talked, you mentioned kind of doing these new patient promos and specials, and that when you audited your patients or clients that a lot of them originally came for a discount, but they stuck around for good service. I think a lot of people that I talk to, they kind of have it stuck in their head that, well, I don't want to compete based on price. I want to do it another way. But we have a quote that we love here called uh, from a book called The Advertising Effect, which is, action changes attitude faster than attitude changes action. And that's why every business in every industry, for the most part, they do some sort of discounting when they can because they know if they can acquire you as a customer and you do business with them and you have a great experience, they're much more likely to come back and do business a second, third, fourth, fifth time, and so on. So can you speak to that real quick? Is there truth to that? What are your thoughts on discounting to try to acquire new patients in a competitive landscape?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think about it like this, in a way, by asking these people to trust you with their face, you're saying like, hey, let's, let's go and get married today, I'm going to give you an injectable into your face, stick a needle in. (laughs) Instead, wouldn't it be easier to convince them to go on like a first date with you when you buy them a little coffee or sandwich or take them to the movies, where you're going to give them something for almost for free, but they'll get to know you. And you'll make a good impression and you're confident in yourself. And then they'll you'll be able to get a second, third, fourth, fifth date. So I think that even really top brands do discounting to acquire customers. Like Saks Fifth Avenue has specials. They do designer sales. They do all kinds of different sign up for a text message marketing program and get 15% off your first order. So I think the initial discounting to get a client is very, very Valuable, especially in businesses where you're going to get recurring revenue. So it's not like you're, you're giving them a free lunch and they're never going to come back for lunch. They need to eat every day. And their Botox is going to wear off in three months and they're going to be asking themselves, oh, like, who do I go to? So if you get them a small discount or a big discount first time, I don't think it's a problem because if you they had a great experience and they remember you through marketing, you're going to get them back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, sure, there's the percentage of people that might be so frugal that to save $30, they're going to find somebody else in town. But I, I think the majority of people making a normal purchasing decision are going to say, hey, I really liked that place. I had a great experience. It's convenient. It was comfortable. I'm not going to go price shop again every time I have to revisit you know, somebody for my Botox injections, for example. Yeah. I think <laughs> so that it, makes a ton of sense.
1: Yeah, people are like, they get into their routines. They don't want to price shop every three months. At least most people yeah. don't. So even if the original came to you from Groupon, uh, it doesn't mean that they're a bad client. I mean, as we talked about last time, when we did this study at my a former practice, who were the top 20% highest spending consumers out of the whole practice, out of thousands of patients? Many of them came from Groupon, which was like shocking and surprising and, you know, unbelievable, but that's what the data mm-hmm. showed.
0: Yeah. Yep. I think it makes a ton of sense. Okay, so last question is now we've got someone with an established practice, they're generating patients, they're comfortable, they're making a living, maybe they're starting to build out a little bit of a team. What are those next steps for growth planning and having a vision of what you're going to become as a med spa owner? Are you going to be a single location? I have a client that we work with, they're really small, they have a receptionist and the practitioner. They're perfectly happy with that the way it is and I don't think they care to grow beyond that. And then there are people that, like you that end up opening multiple locations. So I guess, how do you go about making those decisions and what things should people keep in mind when figuring out what their future looks like as a med spa owner?
1: I think it becomes a choice whether you want it to be a lifestyle business or a a big scalable company that you can sell. So I think the single injector with a receptionist is totally fine and great and uh, a great business. The problem is you can't really walk away from it and you can't really sell it for much. So it's kind of like a very limited uh, lifespan in that sense. So if you want, if that's okay for you, then that's totally fine. Or uh, a place that has one big giant location. We have some clients who do like four or 5 million out of one building, like one giant location. And they don't have the logistics problems of having multiple locations and staffing and inventory. It's all in one. I think that's also great Um, in terms of, building a business that other people will want to buy you have to have more than one location and they have to be able to function without you the more your business can function without you you as injector you you as manager you as micromanager uh you as problem solver fire you know firefighter whatever it is that you are um the more you could step away the more valuable your business becomes so it's best if When you have one location, what I suggest to all our clients is write everything down, like every process that you have in your business, make a manual of how you do things, like how people should answer the phone, how the bathroom should be cleaned, how a Botox injection should be done, what time the office opens. I mean, the smallest, stupidest things, but just like a big operating manual. And then you can open a new location and hand that manual to to the manager of that location. Then you don't have yep. to sit there in your new location and teach someone in the same way uh, as if you didn't have anything written down. And so that kind of stuff makes your practice valuable. And also, yeah, at that point, like having intellectual property, like trademarking your name and your slogan and maybe some unique names or procedures, all that stuff will make it more valuable and more translatable to location 2, 3, 10, whatever.
0: Yeah. That is awesome. Awesome advice. Sarah, tell people where they can find out more about you. If they want to work with you, how can they reach out?
1: Um, my website is com. You could also find me on Instagram at Langea Law. And we offer free consultations because I really believe in this power of if I give some, someone something for free and they just get to know me, maybe they'll love me and want to hire me. And if they don't, that's okay. No problem. So you could find us at LynnGiaLaw.com or at LynnGiaLaw on Instagram. And we'd love to learn more about your business and see how we can help.
0: And I will have all of the links to contact Sarah and her team in the show notes. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure as always.
1: Nice to meet you. Again, it's, it's, always, it's always a fun conversation.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. I greatly appreciate it. I could tell how much you love this industry. So that's awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This podcast is a production of MedSpa Magic Marketing. If your med spa or aesthetic practice is in need of digital marketing services, help with advertising on Facebook, Instagram, Google, lead generation, and booking more appointments, please visit MedSpaMagicMarketing.com.